0: There's giving up, that's failure. Listen more and
1: be kind.
0: It's a group called Rascal Flats. Four days ago, they let me go.
1: The most complex, nuanced wine has to come from a mind that suffers.
2: An ultimate failure would be giving up. Now, if you keep making
3: the same mistakes over and over and over again, well, then you're just an idiot.
4: Hello, and welcome to How to Fail Successfully, the podcast that teaches the steps to success through the stories of failures. I'm so happy that you can join me as I interview some of my favorite people and encourage them to share their story with you. I'm Matthew Carrier and this is How To Fail Successfully. Welcome to 2018. So thankful you could join me today. In 2017 I was able to start this podcast which has been both fulfilling and challenging at the same time. In fact for a number of reasons this has been more this has been one of the more challenging things I've ever done. There have been many times where I thought I can't do this. Who am I to do this? I'm not the right person for this podcast, blah blah blah. But there's there's but this is the thing is that that's actually the whole point of this podcast. I'm not the only one facing these feelings. I'm not the only one who's scared of failing or making a fool of themselves. Many successful people have all felt or are still currently feeling these same feelings. I started this podcast to help open the doors to conversations with successful people and allow them to share their, their stories of failures and the lessons that they've learned along the way. So if you are are new to this podcast, I wanted to give you just a great place to start, and it's this episode right here. I have done what a quote-unquote best of or a highlight reel of each of the first 10 episodes so that you can quickly preview all of them, and if you are particularly drawn to one of them, you could go back and listen to that at a later point. All of my interview questions are based around failure. Define failure. Describe your biggest failure. How did it feel? How did you recover? and then i ask questions like well define success how do you find success Mo- in most of the episodes that i edited down you don't hear my question you just will hear part of the response but understand that it's all based around this concept of of failure and getting to that point of success so let's start with episode number 1 in this episode i interviewed justin harris justin is a pastor in naples florida And he discusses how he was able to overcome his biggest failure through uh, seeking out diverse and critical feedback. Here's episode number one.
5: I think that I was so scared of uh, of failing. I was so intent on being successful, Uh, (laughs) uh, even proving to my family who doubted my direction. uh, It would have been wise, helpful enlightening for somebody to come along and just to have challenged me with some critical feedback. I, I wanted to do well, and I don't think I really wanted anybody to criticize me. I, I didn't see the value um, of asking diverse groups of people, not just my little friend group or the people I knew who liked me, but I, I wasn't seeking out critical feedback. You know, the old uh, quote from Godfather Two. you know, Vito Corleone is giving this like advice and he's saying you know, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. There was a sense in which I was keeping my enemies away. Uh, I was kind of insecure about what I was doing in the first place because I didn't know anybody really who was doing this kind of work. And I was kind of determined to show my family that I was going to do well at it, uh, that I shied away from or didn't seek out critical feedback. That probably would have sped up that whole reformation for me, so my quick advice would be uh, seek diverse and critical feedback by critical I mean corrective feedback. That's how I began to value the feedback I was just talking about earlier, not just the praise, not just the affirmation, but the correction. I would say that to anybody seek wisdom it's it's valuable, you know. It, pray for it, desire it. And when you realize how good it is, how safe it is, how helpful it is to get some input from various perspectives, especially when you're trying to achieve some standard of success, it'll change change your life, change mine. Poser says that the most important thing about us is who we understand God to be. You know, if you have a a low conception of God, you're not going to think that much about his opinion. If you have a high conception of God, it's going to influence everything about you. Now tie that together with what I do. (laughs) Obviously, if I'm preaching and it's my goal to communicate what I believe is God's message, the higher my view of him, the more I will value excellence in the work that he's called me to do. So after I'd read that quote and it had settled in with me over the course of a few days, it was probably one of the the turning points, you know, in, in my even understanding of what success and failure was in ministry, because I realized that ultimately the standard of success has to come from him and not anywhere else. I think back to what Timothy was told by Paul, where he says, look, it's required of a steward for a man to be found faithful. So if I had to translate success into one other word, a synonym, at least in the worldview that I'm presenting, it would be faithfulness, faithfulness. So there's giving up, that's failure. (laughs) Faithfulness is persisting in, pursuing continually that which God has entrusted to me.
4: So if you could take away one thing from that episode, it is to seek diverse and critical feedback. In episode two, I interview another good friend of mine, Brad Vosser. He owns a bicycle shop in North Hollywood, California. He's a very intellectual thinker. Here is my interview with Brad Vosser.
6: Kind of see it as a two-part answer in truth. There is the, I would call the normal social acceptable definition, which would be something like um, a demonstrated inability to achieve a particular goal. So that would be the outside definition of that. Much more important is the inside definition, which we feel individually as humans, and that would be to succumb to the discouragement that stops the quest for this particular goal. That can't be seen from the outside. That's something that you feel yourself. And that's the true failure. What makes this at all confusing is that you can make a goal that's unachievable. And that doesn't necessarily mean that long-term, overall, it's considered a failure. Along that path, you learn the many things that you need to in order to continue the quest. But some goals are simply unattainable. When I was young, as I've already pointed out, my fears drove my anger, and it was often my response to situations where it was it was simply not appropriate. If I was going to tell myself something at that age, it would be to listen more and be kind, think about think that other people are alive the same way that I am. I mean, it sounds trite to quote the golden rule, but truly, if you could treat others as you would like to be treated yourself, it would be a kinder world. But that's not the way I approached it. But of course, the problem with giving myself advice at 20 is I wouldn't have listened. It was all out there, but I didn't listen to it. It took me 30 more years to gain any of the knowledge that I wish I had when I was 20. But I would have said, be, be kind. Um, and, and try to be, try to be generous with what you've been given in a sense to me, that's what, that's what joy in life is ultimately about. Man is the master weaver of the outer garment of circumstance, as well as the inner garment of character. Man is the master weaver. It means that all of that time I spent blaming my parents, the police, my girlfriend, uh, the schools, uh, society, for all of the problems that I had, all of that time I spent looking for a scapegoat for all of those problems, those problems were all created by me, all created by me. Well jeez how do you how do you even approach that it's It's really, very serious. There's no hedging in this. We are as we sit here right now, we are exactly a product. Of the choices that we have made in our life, now it's easy to try to find ways to hedge that to say uh, i didn't I couldn't get a job, I didn't have any money, I had to do this, I had to do that but in every circumstance, there are choices to be made, and some are more difficult than others, and some may seem more important than others, but it is always choices that we that we make ourselves, that have led us to be exactly where we are at this moment. And that book, As a Man Thinkist, points out more clearly than anything I've ever read that we are responsible for who and what we are and what we do. With our thoughts, we create the world. I'll take just two seconds and, and show you what that actually means with a current example in Los Angeles, traffic is horrible. You're driving down the freeway, and somebody in their BMW cuts you off. Now, they're not going to kill you, but it's obviously a very aggressive and, and somewhat dangerous move in front of you. Think of the ways that you can react to that. If you're driving a BMW yourself, you can chase them. You could flash your lights and blow the horn and pull up beside them and flip them off and yell at them and try to make them understand that what they did was dangerous and stupid and they're a dangerous and stupid person. That's one choice. You can simply accept it. And while you don't have to like it, you realize that you're not going to affect the outcome of that situation. So there's two different worlds. The same event, two different worlds. One is a world filled with anger. And fear and forceful demonstration, you create that world with your mind. The other, if you can do it, is a calm, um, accepting world that allows you to continue on in in a fruitful manner. Same event, two completely different worlds, and both of those worlds, each of them was created by your own mind. We are what we think. All that we are is created by our thoughts. Outward answer to it is uh, the appearance of the ability to achieve uh, demonstrable goals. So from the outside, one can only weigh what you can see and the impact of what you can see. You can see money. You can see influence. You can see possessions. You can see all of those kinds of things. And those are the trappings of success. Those are the outward appearances of success. Even trite to say, look at how many successful people by that standard are truly unhappy and how much misery there is among people who have all of those things. So those things are no guarantee of inward success.
4: All right. I'm going to cut it off right there. That was episode number two with Brad Vosser. If you're interested in hearing more of that conversation, go ahead. You can go on to iTunes. Episode number two, The Thinker, Brad Vosser. Very, very deep A lot of of things to think about in that episode. Moving on to episode number three, I interviewed Mike Miller. He is a piano player, songwriter, producer, uh, a good guy, good friend of mine. And about two days before we recorded this interview, he had just gotten let go of his gig with Rascal Flats. So it was kind of an interesting time to have a conversation with him about failure and what failure means to him. Here's the highlight of episode number three with Mike Miller.
0: Definition of failure to me is when something that you did caused, uh, not maybe not caused you pain, but caused you to lose something that you didn't want to lose. For instance, like there's been times in my life where like I wanted to keep doing something or I wanted to obtain something. And, uh, there was something direct that I did that negatively affected the person or someone or something that I was with. And they're like, uh, you know, you're not going to do this because you did something really negative or you didn't provide this value. Like if you're like, Hey, you know, I'm going to paint, I'm going to hire you to paint this wall red and you paint it blue. Like you failed. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? But if like if I painted it red and you didn't describe like the exact shade of red that you wanted like I didn't fail on that You you failed to, to give me the exact description of red you wanted Like in failing so badly it gave me such like huge red flags that when I looked at the red flags It gave me the solution to the problem And so I started just like going to frat houses and I was like hey, this is what I've done And I would videotaped what I did so I already had like marketing materials and I was like, "Hey, this is what I do. I think this would be great. Why don't I throw you a party?" So then they paid me to throw the party, and it turned out to be really lucrative, and it was awesome. I think if I was going to give uh, look my teenage self, especially during those like later teenage years, I would um. I would encourage myself and warn myself that, uh, being driven, and being. Man, I'm just gonna say it. And being arrogant don't have to go hand in hand. Um. I was like an extremely confident kid and I think I didn't understand the difference between confidence and arrogance. And I thought like, like I was so confident that I could make things work and, or accomplish things or something like that, that I would definitely like, I was definitely like get the hell out of my way type of guy. Like, Oh, there's an obstacle. I'm going to destroy it. Um, and now I know that in the real world, once you become an adult, that destroying things (laughs) or, uh, you know, just like arrogantly getting through things and burning things, you know, isn't the way to do it. Yeah. So I, I played piano and guitar and did some production for this country group called Rascal Flats. Um, I started in January of this year, 2017. And just as of about, you know, no one knows this, so welcome world about four years, four days ago, they let me go. Um, once again, it wasn't a failure because it wasn't something that I did wrong. It was simply that like, Hey, we don't need a piano player anymore. I'm like, well, shoot, like that was like a dream of mine to like go on a big tour and play great music, especially music that I loved with like and met some people that I wanted to meet. And it was so cool. And it only lasted eight months. And no, now it's gone. Um, But it's kind of like, okay, like time to move on, time to keep going. And right in the middle of this, uh, my wife and I, Kim, we were going to buy an investment property, a house here in Nashville, and uh, I found this house and I was like, man, this is like a home run deal. We're going to buy it under value. It's not even on the market. And then I got, and then I got let go and I'm like, crap, like there goes some money that like I was planning on for this deal. So like I called Kim, I was like, dude, I think we should back out of this deal. Like, especially right now as I need, kind of need to retool and pivot a little bit. And Kim was like, no, she's like, you were screaming to me that this is a great risk. And that this is like a home run and that you feel so good about it. And the energy is great. She's like, don't run from that fear just for like, just because of like this temporary position that we're in. She's like, it's just a moment. She's like, you're going to get more gigs and more work and, and we're going to be fine. And don't let that affect that. And I was like, man, like she's, I was like, Kim, you're a rock star. I love you so much. (laughs) I think success is knowing the reason you were put on this earth and like what you're what you're best at, like what fulfills you, what, what like roots you to this earth and what, uh, if you could do this every day and never make a penny and blah, 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 and, and go to bed just like with your soul and your being just so filled. That to me is like understanding that it takes, is such a long road to getting to that point that I think some people never even take the time or investment to understand it. But I think success to me is, understanding that, that root principle of like, this is literally like the reason that I was created or that I exist. And then actually pursuing that. And it take, you have to, you really do have to kind of fail a lot. You have to, you know, in the, like I said, the opposite of that, you really have to like try and just be sloppy and through your sloppiness, things just don't work out. Um, and then you just I recently got to that point like two years ago where I finally realized I'm like yeah I can do A, B, C and D but what really when I put my head down at the end of the night I'm like man like I am fulfilling my purpose uh, for being Mike Miller like and go to bed with that like soul filling happiness and um, reason like that is the best and once you find that like you can't turn your back on it and if you do oh my god I can't imagine the depression that would happen but that to me is like, I, I might not be like rich or what accomplished a lot of the goals that I want, but man, I feel so successful right now because, um, I think like I have a huge calling to like love as a husband and a partner. And that's like, Oh God, that gives me such fulfillment. as like being with like being a great husband to my wife. Um, so like, man, that's such a success that I have that. And whatever else comes is what—it's great. It's just called life. And then the other one that I have for me is is like I was—I deeply feel like I was born to create music, and not necessarily sing it or perform it, or, but just even just like sitting in my own room, and just like creating something out of thin air. And when I get done at the end of the day or the end of the week, whatever, and it's finished, and I'm like, man, like that came—that I channeled that out of me, and now it exists. And when that happens, man, I feel so successful. I feel, even if I ever make a penny off of it, it doesn't matter. So, that's to me. In that episode, because
4: Mike is one of my favorite musicians, I did ask him to play a couple songs. If you are interested in hearing that, that would be the second half of my interview with Mike, episode number three. Episode number four, I interviewed Joshua David, the wine-loving accountant and he discusses how he takes an analytical approach to most of his failures and then we just spend a whole lot of time talking about wine.
1: Here's a clip. To me failure in a sense in the bigger picture is sort of the other half of success. For something to fail it has to have a start and an end. So I think where I struggle in the definition process is along with defining failure you have to define a starting and a stop because at some point a failure is no longer a failure if you keep going or you stop too soon. Or kind of using the classic sports example, if you lose the first quarter, is it a failure? End of the game, you lose a game, is it a failure? What about winning record at the end of the season or playoff or you get the champion? Like, at what point do you define a failure? And so I, I think I struggle with that, kind of pinning it down. It's, it's, hard, it's hard for me to define failure without – saying okay we're defining failure from this point to this point i think we're going to hit all our favorite analogies but talking about wine the most complex nuanced wine has to come from a mind that suffers and you know you 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 know basically a, a a life well lived as a grape is basically going to be in the grocery store or turned into raisins Uh, In that sense, I think there's there's a certain amount of emotional suffering that you either beat yourself up I could have done this differently I could have done that differently or I'm a failure in society or whatever the case may be and so you kind of have to live with that discomfort and So learning to live in that discomfort is probably the biggest thing I learned Because in that discomfort all of a sudden you can start seeing life more compassionately You know, uh, you can, you can see, you can grow more as a person and and I think it made me a better person, but I don't think, I don't think, I don't think the failure itself made the better person. I think sitting in the suffering and discomfort and not trying to sort of avoid it to me, that's what uh, caused the struggling vine, so to speak. (laughs) One of the most significant things was, when I was thinking about moving to California from Oklahoma in the midst of the fallout from just getting divorced and, you know, in the process of looking at a new relationship and starting over, essentially I was just constantly struggling with here's kind of what I want to do. I want, well, first of all, I want to be near like the wine. I want to be near the wine. It's interesting to me. It was, I wanted to study it and experience it and just kind of be around it. And, where I was at that point, I was going, man, that seems pretty superficial. That seems pretty selfish. You know, I would constantly doubt myself and say, hey, are you just running away from something? Is that a good enough reason to move? And so I would kind of second guess myself. And so I was I was talking a little bit, kind of processing through with my mom's husband. He kind of casually, casually mentioned the scripture scripture that says, you know, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And he said, well, you can look at this one of two ways that, you know, you delight yourself in the Lord and you get what you want, basically. But what he said was, he said, but another way to look at it is he gives you the desires. The desires themselves come from him. And he said, oftentimes you are led through your desire. Success to me is living a satisfied life. The idea of becoming a hotshot financial wizard from my accounting place right now to going to Wall Street, you know, and making the big, the big, but you know, that doesn't really, you know, in in many ways that's viewed as success. And that doesn't really appeal to me. Um, Success is usually gauged by money. But when we think of success, we usually think of money. Uh, for me, it's time. I think of success as time, as in I get the time to do what I want to do. And money and work and all that stuff is only facilitating, creating time for me to do what I really want to do in life.
4: Love that interview. I had a fun time doing that one. If you are new to this podcast, I am so thankful that you joined me today. I hope that you can see how much wisdom is found in these conversations. And 2018 is going to be just as great, if not even better. So get ready for that. And if you do enjoy this podcast and want updates, please subscribe. And it will let you know when the new episodes are published and able to be listened to. So let's continue. In episode number five, I interviewed my former HR director, who is now a life coach. I wanted to get the perspective of failure from someone who's working to help people and helping people overcome their failures, giving them direction and providing wisdom and and encouragement in their life. So here's my interview with Summer Jansen. Enjoy.
2: I used to think failure was just when you would mess something up and you didn't know how to fix it. Uh, To me, it, it was people looking at you and kind of pointing and going, you tried that and you failed. But now I think I, I would say, I mean, look, the dictionary defines it as a lack of success, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like the yin and the yang. But yeah. in this new entrepreneurial world, I've had to learn that you kind of have to take the failure to get to the success. So now to me, failure is more like an attitude in how you approach it. So it's an ultimate failure would be giving up, like giving up on your dreams or giving up pursuing something that's important to you. What I've learned making that leap from one world to the next is that you can really slow yourself down being a perfectionist and yeah, you want it to look great and yes, you, it's a reflection of you, but if you spend too much time on making it perfect, you may never get to the finish line. Mm. I found something called a vision board and I put that together and it sounds like arts and crafts, but there's some method to the the madness and the arts and crafts where I pick out the words and the things that I want to embody and I pick out what my next step is in life and I kind of create that life on paper and then I make an action plan to give myself steps to get to that point. So with this, for example, I started with this being my integrative wellness and coaching business. I started with a vision for it. I knew I wanted to do something impactful. I had to do a lot of writing, a lot of journaling to get to what it is that I want to do and I just started making a checklist, you know, and part of that was to get certified. It was to get into this niche market, you know, of, of helping people through integrative wellness. And I just go step by step brought it out. But yeah, I do have my own vision board and I happen to have it in my hallway outside of my bedroom so that when I get up, cause I have a calendar on the wall there too. And I okay. kind of, you know, I do it like catering style when you're working in a hotel, you just like whiteboard it. Um, but mine is actually hanging up uh, on the wall next to it. And so as I get up every morning, I look at it and I ask myself, am I working towards that? Am I getting closer to that? Do I need to scrap this? Because uh, it changes. You know, sometimes you put something on there and you go, oh, actually, I don't need that. <laughs> but it's in it's in my hallway next to my calendar.
4: And what do you have on there? Like yachts and, and fancy <laughs> houses and, and boats and cars? I mean, like what what would you put yeah, on
2: there? So basically, I mean, look, my first vision board, I had like a house in Malibu on there. I had a Ferrari. I had all these crazy materialistic things, which is fine if that's what people want to work towards. But as I went through my life, you know, and I had a child and I just went through a lot of things in my life. I, th- I said, you know, maybe those things aren't as important and maybe I didn't know how to work towards them. So the things that I have on there now are more about career, about life goals, about helping people, about small changes that I want to make. I mean, I have words on there. I have travel pictures on there. I have me speaking in front of groups and helping people on there. So things like that. I look at success not as an end goal. And I know the dictionary definition of it is achieving, you know, a specific purpose or an aim that you work towards. And I think that that's true. But for me, success is getting back up and working towards your goal and learning from it. So it's almost like success equals growth to me. So if you're growing and you're learning, even if you're making mistakes, I see that as successful A
4: lot of learning <laughs> along the way.
2: Exactly. And you know that you, you have to like fall down to kind of figure out what it is that people want to hear. So I think it's fantastic that you keep going and, and it's scary. I get that. I get that way too, but I was that way in human resources, and I'll tell you something. People say, I need more confidence, I need more confidence to get started, and what you need is not more confidence, it's more experience. Because where people get caught up is, for me, for example, I was 18 years in human resources. I can close my eyes, I can tie my hand behind my back, and I can run circles around a ton of people in human resources. But when I switched from being an HR director to an entrepreneur, I was in a whole new ball game, and I was no longer an expert. And it I have to remember that it took me 18 years to become an expert in the human resources field. So I'm like a baby in this being an entrepreneur and it takes a different skill set. So it's just a mind shift, but you walk around feeling like you're in imposter syndrome forever. Wow. But it's not more confidence you need, it's more experience. And when I heard that, I was like, that's right because I didn't get confidence in HR overnight. It took me 18 years.
4: Love the concept of the imposter syndrome. I felt that. When I first started this podcast, I still fight those demons every once in a while. Anytime you start a new project, you will have that fear and you will be uncomfortable as you are trying to learn your place in your new role. Understand that it is a process. It will come. As we will learn in this next episode, it takes repetition. This is episode number six with The Cheerleader. Our mom, Let's see.
7: Uh, I, I'd say it, it's about falling short of a goal that you had set, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's over. So I, th- I think that uh, failure is very necessary in my previous life of physique competition or just in my current life of bodybuilding. It's, it's every day is a failure. So I, I would say it's ne- I can't really define it as finite as just re- falling short and I don't believe it's it's giving up, but failures is, failure is just fun. It's it's something that you've got to experience so that you can experience more. But I felt that I fell short of getting to a championship, and my friends that were around me had won championships at various colleges throughout the throughout the country. And one person in particular, I had. I met up with them, and he was showing off his championship ring. And I said, "Hey, that that ring looks really cool. Can uh, can I see it? Can I can you take it off? Can I hold it? Can I look at it?" And he had said to me, "Only champions get to hold other champions' Ooh. rings," and it it stung so bad, uh, man. Man. And so man. I, I I go back to that, and uh, I say that that was a failure, uh, and. and but it was a stepping stone at the same time, just because that's what probably drove me to my hardest training for bodybuilding competitions in my, my life as a bodybuilder. The quote that, that stands out the most is repetition is key, repetition is key, repetition is key, repetition is key. <laughs> What's the key? Uh, I believe it's repetition. <laughs> repetition that's it and it, that that goes along with everything so if you're gonna if you want somebody to love you if you send them flowers every day if you want to have the best health you apple you eat an apple every day you know it's so it's you gotta you have to have that consistency if you're gonna have the best podcast you have to podcast every day right yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. so it's it, it's learning it's it's constantly growing but on a consistent basis. You know, success is happiness in the actions that you've accomplished that, that you've you've set forth. So, it, it, I'm successful if I'm successful, I'm happy with the process that that I took to get what I wanted.
4: So, in your definition, is there finality in success or is it a continual process?
7: Oh, no, no, it's never, you're never finished. Just like failures, you're, you're not finished failing. You're going to fail all the way till your last uh, moments. And you're going to succeed to your last moments. You succeeded to see that last, that get that last glimpse. You know, so it's, you're not, you're, you're never really done. Who's to say that we're not done at that point either? That's probably another conversation. But, but yeah, no, success is never done.
4: Love that two things I took away from that episode is repetition is key. Repetition is key. Repetition is key. What is the key? I hope you said repetition because you would be right. Second thing is that success is not final. Love those two things. Moving on, I'm going to skip episode number seven as that was a self-audit. I took the first six episodes and I pointed out the six ways that I failed in my first six episodes. It's important for me to also self-evaluate as I'm progressing to make sure that I am working to improve every single episode. And that's what episode number seven is all about. In episode number eight, I interviewed Charlie Vaughn. He is an actor, director, producer in the film and TV world. He talks about his biggest failures, as well as he shares some funny stories about when he was a background or an quote unquote extra on Baywatch and how he had a traumatic experience while on the set of a golden grams commercial. If you're interested in hearing that, that is episode number eight. Here's a clip is having an idea and,
8: and not pursuing it, whether the idea is good or bad is, is to be determined. But you know, um, a lot of people say, Oh, I'm going to try this, or I think I want to do this and, and nothing ever comes of it. And I, I think that, uh, is hands down you know the unequivocal definition of failure Uh, there will always be people that you'll tell an idea to and they'll say that's a bad idea but you really have to consider the the source of who's who's giving you that information because sometimes their their reasons for saying an idea is bad um, stems from jealousy or stems from projection they're projecting themselves trying to do that idea and they see them failing so Naturally, Charlie, you would fail at this, too. I think I would tell myself to start sooner, start smaller, just start. Um, It's interesting. I'm I'm 40. So at 20, if you can imagine, people that had the Internet were wealthy, you know, people that had a home computer. Video cameras were $1,000. Cell phones, I don't think you could take a picture. YouTube was you know, not even a concept. When I first heard of YouTube, I, and the first time I heard of a web series, I thought this is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Like why, when you can make a big feature, why make something for the web? And now I'm sitting there going, ah, I can just make something for the web. So, so my advice to, to traditionally the, I mean, to specifically what you're asking, the legit 20 year old version of me would have just been to start sooner. But the opportunities that are available to a 20 year old in 2017 are are vastly superior to what I had did that stand in my way yeah was I also really lazy and scared to start absolutely like I I completely blame myself for starting as late as I did there was this young poet that wrote to his uh, poet idol I guess and mentor and these were I can't remember 11 12 13 letters that that went back and forth, and and the the mentor, the the established poet, had said, if you are questioning whether you are asked to write, find out if if that is your goal and um, or what you're meant to do, and if if you are meant to do it, then do it, even if no reward ever comes, because the act of doing is is the reward in and of itself. And basically, it, it's it's the idea that if you are called to be an artist, to be a filmmaker, a musician, a caregiver, you know, a psychiatrist, whatever that is, that is your calling. And even when the going gets tough, still do it because that is what's going to bring you the most satisfaction. So here comes the advice. I finally, 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 finally at 28, get to university and I'm taking my first or second semester of of film school and it's hard. And I wanted to drop out and I thought, I don't have what it takes. This is hard. People criticize. So I called my dad (laughs) Um, and I said, I have decided I'm going to be a teacher instead. And he said, okay, this, this is what I knew (laughs) I had come up with a bad idea. I said, I want to be a teacher instead. He said, okay, let's, uh, tell me in 10 years, where do you, where do you see yourself? And I said, oh, well, you know, I'd be teaching English or drama. And, um, and he said, okay, English, what, what does your syllabus look like? My dad was a teacher. And I said, well, we would read uh, To Kill a Mockingbird and, and then we'd watch the movie and then I'd make the students uh, act out scenes from the movie. And he goes, OK, what else? And I said, well, we'd read Of Mice and Man and then I'd make the students shoot a video of it. And he's like, OK, uh, hmm, gosh, there's a theme here, isn't there? And I said, yeah. And he goes, yeah, I think no matter what you do, film will always be a part of you. But you have crafted your entire life for this moment. And If you do truly want to walk away, do it. But I think you would ultimately be really disappointed that you got so close and then opted out. And so I damned the torpedoes and finished school and am very, very grateful that I did stick with it based on that sort of mind game that he he played with me. Me in my mid-twenties is called The Dream Giver and it is based on the idea that your talent or your creativity is a is a god-given gift and you need to pursue it but the best advice in that book comes from when you do set out on your on your journey or you do set your goal there will be people that will surprise you that will discourage you in some cases for some people it's their parents not in my case my parents have been extremely supportive Sometimes it's your best friend or your spouse or, or people that you think would say, wow, Charlie, that's a great idea. And they say, no, don't do it. You'll fail. You'll this, you'll that. So that book was very for just that one chapter has always kind of stuck with me. I was a chubby teenager and signed up with a casting agency that would just call you the day before and say, we booked you on Baywatch or, hey, you know how to skateboard, don't you? And uh and you'd always say yes, and then I'd spend the rest of the evening figuring out how to skateboard and show up at a Rice Krispies commercial. They're like, Let's see you skateboard, and I'd do it, and they go, Okay, you're gonna be in the back. Uh let's have the rollerblading kid. But yeah, a very harrowing Baywatch experience was I did not have the Baywatch body, and we were going through the, the wardrobe line. And when I got, when I got to the wardrobe person, I didn't want to tell them I was embarrassed to have my shirt off. So I told them I sunburn easily. (laughs) So he hands me this purple tank top and he's like, wear this. I'm the only person on the beach with a shirt on and I'm frolicking and it's a big set, you know, it's Zuma beach and they're about to roll camera. And all of a sudden (laughs) the second AD or somebody comes on a, Bullhorn is like purple tank top. Take it off. And so fifty heads turn around to look at who the hell is wearing a purple tank top, and it was me. And so I had to take my tank top off, and I spent the rest of the episode like up to my nipples in in the water because I'm like, film is forever. This will be found, and I have not found that episode. I found the other episodes I've done, but yeah, it was a, it was a great. I mean. It was a great high school experience, and, and that really, I think, changed, my, again, my definition of, of success. If, if my definition of success was 10 Oscar-winning movies or three films that get theatrical release, I would be a failure. But I just want to tell stories, and, and that's what I'm doing, and sometimes I get paid for it. It was a Golden Grams commercial, and it was a concert and they had erected like a a fake balcony for a for this concert but the the balcony was just scaffolding that we were supposed to climb up and i'm terrified of heights and the thing was shaking and then they bring the camera on and i just thought this thing is going to fall and i'm going to die you know my life given for a golden grams commercial <laughs> like and i got i was super scared and then as if this was supposed to appease us, because then they started blowing smoke. Somebody said, oh, don't worry, you're getting stunt pay. And I thought, well, (laughs) woohoo, I'm still terrified. And in retrospect, I probably should have said, "Uh, I'm not comfortable doing this, can you pick somebody else? The movie, What's Love Got To Do With It was my first, first movie ever, and they gave us a little 60s haircut. And then they had us all dance, and I thought this is gonna be bad because I I don't I don't dance. And after you know, thirty seconds of watching me, they decided I'd be best as an audience member watching the dancers.
4: <laughs> Wearing your purple shirt in the back. Wearing my purple tank top, <laughs> twirling it over my head. Yes. <laughs> all right, that was episode number eight. Moving on to episode nine and ten. In this episode, I interviewed Drew Davis. And in fact, this is actually not a clip from that published interview. Uh, we ended up talking and we went through his whole life story from in the beginning when he was a state champion wrestler to becoming a pilot, uh, a music, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, a uh, touring musician opening up for Hooting the Blowfish and then becoming a music manager. It's a great story. I enjoyed it, but this is a clip of after the conversation ended. I asked him a couple questions.
3: These are his responses. Enjoy. What a great question! Failure is ground zero. It's the humbler. It's 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 the building block. It's the it's the thing that gives you character. It's the thing that that gives you the ability and the strength and the willpower to get better in order to go from ground zero to that next step, you know, to get to that level 10 where you need to be. And that's the realization of, hey, look, it exists. Failure's there. You can't be afraid of it. You got to accept it and you got to learn and you got to grow. Now, if you keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again, well, then you're just an idiot. One huge failure was when I was a performer. I'm going out to do a show at the Rose Bowl. Excuse me, not the Rose Bowl, Hollywood Bowl. White tuxedo, black bow tie. I'm the MC front man for this whole thing. I walk out on the stage. We had done daytime rehearsals. I was more than prepared. You know, preparation is everything in this industry. I go out, I go to sing the very first song, you know, is right at sun, had just gone down. Well, we had, hadn't done dress rehearsal and lights. Well, sure enough, they have lights. The, the spotlights are the biggest things you've ever seen. It's like, I mean, they're 20 feet tall in the back of, and they're from like 1930. So when they hit you, you actually get a tan immediately. I didn't know this. I go up, full orchestra, everyone in the orchestra pit, I go up to sing the very first song and open the show. Boom, get hit with the lights. Sure enough, I'm back in wrestling mode, man. I was in a serious, like, head spin. I didn't know what hit me. It, it, like, shocked me. I start singing, and this is impossible to do. I'm going to tell you, like, I don't know anybody that can do this. This is a feat in itself. I start singing the wrong lyric and melody. I start singing the second song first over the orchestra how do you do this you don't it's impossible so the orchestra figures this out the conductor and he switches it up to the other song and i start i start singing the first song i remember going backstage and and i'm like hey everybody how you doing you know and I, i picked up where i was i'm like oh bro having a great night tonight we're gonna do this this and this and you know i recovered barely but i went in the back i'm like I'm never doing this again. I'm done. This is the worst thing ever. I mean, I wanted to throw up. It was just, it was awful. And and these are all just a, a bunch of different failures. And I think that these failures have led me to my path of where I'm supposed to be. Has it been a huge success? There's been moments. But no, no, it hasn't been. There's been more failures than not. You're going to have so many failures. It's just about the matter of dusting yourself off and getting back up on that horse and going again. And you're going to get knocked off time and time again. And my dad always said something, too, to me. And, um, you know, this is what I live by. Out of your daily deeds, you form your habits. And out of your habits, you shape your destiny. That's where I'm at in my life, you know. And and I'm going to continue to fail. And we all are. That's the journey.
4: All right. That was my 2017. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll see you next week.
3: Thank you, Matthew. And I'm going to TP your yard. Talk to you later, brothers.